Truth News Network. Conservative thought, not just talk. Bringing truth to political lies, misdirection, and disinformation. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your voice in the storm is Dan Newman. Pretty sure you'll agree with me that there's a whole lot of disinformation floating around today. And what we're here and what we're going to do today, what we're here for, is to plow through some of the misdirection and misinformation. And we have a bunch of it. A big show today, folks. A really big show. So many things to weigh in on at the top. want to make sure and remind all of you that uh, listen in every day, most of you, Those of you who weren't here yesterday, Roger Stone, Roger Stone, former Donald Trump confidant, very close to Trump throughout his business career. And of course, while he was in the White House, Roger Stone became a central figure in the Mueller report, the Mueller investigation, and the FBI and Robert Mueller destroyed Roger Stone's life. He's an amazing man. I've spent some time with him on the phone, and he'll have a book coming out around the first of the year. But now, the media, over the last six months, seven months or so, they just dropped the reporting about Roger Stone like a rock. And you know why? Because court after court has determined that all of the stuff that happened to Roger Stone was egregious, was unfair, was illegal. And then, of course, Roger Stone's no longer a big story, right? Donald Trump's gone now. Roger Stone is gone. We don't want to come out and say, we lied. I'm talking about the New York Times and ABC News over and over again. They put out stories that, quote unquote, were factual. Turns out they weren't factual. And numerous news agencies knew when they reported that they were lies. We're going to talk to Roger Stone Friday morning. He's going to be with us for at least an hour telling us his story, giving us facts. And uh, if you missed our uh, story day before yesterday, it was actually an op-ed that was penned by Roger Stone himself. Go back and read that entire story. It's very lengthy, but it's full of details, and it reads like a spy novel, I'm telling you. It's unbelievable what this man and his wife have been through, and his wife is battling stage 4 cancer. And has been for some time. But of course, that doesn't matter. If you're a conservative today in American politics, if your spouse is a conservative in American politics, your life as you've known it is over. I mean, the cancel culture, the Me Too movement, I mean, we could just go on and on and on. They're going to be out to do anything and everything they can to destroy everything you're about because you disagree with them. I mean, Hey, this free speech philosophy, it only applies today if if you are a Democrat or even further left than a Democrat. The rest of us, y'all are just nothing. Y'all are a bunch of idiots. Political discourse, folks, that's history. So where are we going today? We're, we're going to spend a little time in Afghanistan. Um, we're going to spend a little more time back here in the United States And we're going to break down some of the lunacy, some of the insanity. And every day, remember this, we're exposing lie after lie after lie being told to us by those in authority over us, and not just from the White House, folks, across the spectrum of what goes on and where it goes on every day up in Washington, D.C. So, 
president gets up last night and he gives a speech. Finally, he's going to come clean with the truth about all things to do with Afghanistan and that silly withdrawal that he supervised and he authored and he changed it. And I'm not going to play the entire thing for you. I just I just got a couple of minutes of it. Um, we picked out a few snippets that I think you'll relate with. Here's President Biden. We completed one of the biggest airlifts in history. The extraordinary success of this mission. I made a decision to end this war. So we were ready. Around 5,000 Americans who had decided earlier to stay in Afghanistan, but now wanted to leave. My predecessor, the former president, signed an agreement with the Taliban to remove U.S. troops by May the 1st, just months after I was inaugurated. It included no requirement that Taliban work out a cooperative arrangement with the Afghan government, but it did authorize the release of 5,000 prisoners last year, including some of the Taliban's top war commanders, among those who just took control of Afghanistan. And by the time I came to office, the Taliban was in its strongest military position since 2001, controlling or contesting nearly half of the country. The previous administration's agreement said that if we stuck to the May 1st deadline that they had signed on to leave by, the Taliban wouldn't attack any American forces. But if we stayed, all bets were off. If there was any substance in his speech last night, if there was, you just heard it. The rest of it was hollow, aggravating. A bunch of it was false. Some of what you just heard was absolutely false. Have you, uh, by the way, have you Googled or done a video uh, audio search. We're not supposed to use the term Google for search anymore. Isn't that funny how something just becomes an automatic? When you want to do an internet search, you just call it Google, right? Well, have you Googled that agreement, written agreement, signed agreement between the Trump administration orchestrated by both former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and the president, former President Donald Trump, and the leaders of the Taliban, along with the leaders of Afghanistan. Have you read that agreement? What you just heard from our president today didn't include the facts of the agreement. It was very detailed. There were massive requirements of the Taliban for this agreement to stick and for the Americans to go ahead and withdraw. There were massive penalties if they didn't. And just to be quite honest with you, if Donald Trump had been president and if the Taliban had acted like they have this year, we wouldn't have pulled out of Afghanistan. But Joe Biden, very famously, because he is the consummate political leader, he's been in D.C. for 40 years in Senate, a dismal failure in almost everything he did in foreign policy, while he was waving the banner above his own head saying, I'm a foreign policy expert. He orchestrated, Obama appointed him, gave him authority and the responsibility of the first pulling out of our military in Iraq. It was so bad, and it resulted in so many horrible things we had to go back into 
Iraq because of the way and the timing Joe Biden pulled us out. We should have learned. We should have seen what he's all about. We had him for, gosh, 40 years in the Senate, eight years in the White House with Barack Obama. We should have expected nothing less than what we've seen. I mean, you don't change overnight. I'm sorry, folks, especially when you get old, like people like me and Joe. I'm not as old as him, not nearly as old as him. But my point is, the older you get, some of the sharpness, some of the alertness, some of the ability to make quick, on-your-feet decisions seem to get watered down, such is the case for this president. Let me just do something we don't normally do here. A talking point. Um, I put my thoughts together last night, and I want to share them with you in chronological order. The first seven months of this presidency have been nothing but crisis after crisis. First, it was a coronavirus pandemic and the vaccine rollout. Then it was the border crisis, and then it was the economy, and they all fit together and just made the perfect storm, right? And now, of course, Afghanistan. Afghanistan, where the Taliban now are hanging people by the neck from U.S.-supplied Black Hawk helicopters, and U.S. withdrawal is left behind hundreds of Americans and perhaps thousands of green card holders in what now amounts to be the largest hostage crisis in American history. You just heard the president say what probably was the greatest all-time military pullout, rescue. This administration is stumbling from one disaster to the next. No end in sight. Public opinion plummeting on nearly every major issue. I was asked moments before we went on the air this morning, how many signatures would it take of Americans to instigate the impeachment of the president? The answer is it can't be done. It is required in the Constitution for impeachment. It has to start in the House of Representatives. The House has to vote for articles of impeachment, then send it over to the Senate for consideration if the charges are significant enough to justify a trial and the Senate has sole authority to try the president. That's how low the regard for this president is right now today by a lot of Americans. In each case so far, each of the disasters, each of them has been entirely of the Biden administration's own making. Events are not overtaking Biden, folks. His own rank incompetence is running his show. Just about the only disaster facing Biden right now that's not a result of his administration's policies is the aftermath of Hurricane Ida Biggest place of all is right here in my state, Louisiana. It slammed the Gulf Coast. But in the aftermath, which his FEMA and other medical, uh, uh, national authorities are working on, he's got plenty of time to screw all that up, too. The, the events that are unfolding now in Afghanistan, where the Taliban control about $83 billion worth of our military equipment, are by far the most dramatic and the most disturbing display of incompetency and horrible policy from the Biden administration. And, of course, polling today reflects it. 
His approval ratings across the board, Democrats, Independents, Republicans, are plummeting, dropping like a rock. But the Afghanistan disaster follows a train of incompetence, and the train left the station on day one of his presidency. As soon as he was sworn into office, he signed executive orders that guaranteed we would have a migrant crisis at our southern border by reversing a package of Trump-era policies that had managed to control illegal immigration amid a worsening pandemic, Biden effectively opened the borders, sending the message to would-be asylum seekers that if you can manage to get across the Rio Grande River with at least one kid in tow, you get to stay. And if you send your child over alone, he or she, the kid, would definitely get to stay. And so the results were predictable, folks. A 20-year record surge in illegal border crossings that continues to get worse by the month. Corporate media, and using that term as being kind of nice, normally I call it media hacks. They have simply stopped covering the border crisis. But folks, July was the worst month for illegal immigration since March of 2000. We're on track today to arrest more than 1.6 million people at the southern border this year, more than we ever have before. This historic migrant surge wasn't inevitable. It was a, a direct result, purposefully, of Biden's policies, which played out in an entirely predictable manner. Everybody knew he was going to do it. He touted it during the campaign in those debates that he did. And those campaign rallies he did, wait a minute, he didn't do any campaign rallies, the speeches that he made. The same goes for his administration's COVID-19 response. He campaigned on having a plan, and this, this is what he said, I am going to shut down the virus and end the pandemic. But I haven't seen a plan at all, have you? or even any coordinated or consistent message from the White House about COVID-19, outlandish, and ever-shifting policies and recommendations on everything from school closures to mask and vaccine mandates have sown confusion and mistrust among all Americans. And we're all desperate to get back to work and get our kids back to school. Don't you think the President of the United States ought to make that a priority? Not in this administration. Meanwhile, the pandemic itself seems to be getting worse, not better. Monday of this week marked five consecutive days in which COVID-19 deaths exceeded the number of deaths on those dates a year ago. Who was in office a year ago? Who was at the helm? That evil guy, the orange man, Donald Trump. Biden's CDC, they've become lawless. They went outside of medicine, folks. They attempted to impose an unconstitutional eviction moratorium on landlords. And the Supreme Court weighed in and said, you can't do that, Joe. They struck it down last week. And the CDC announced that it's going to be pushing for gun control. Gun control. The Centers for Disease Control. They're going to push for gun control in the name of, of course, public health. Because, you know, that's really what we need the CDC to focus on right now is gun control. Oh, my gosh. A 
Other pandemic policies from Biden's folks have made economic recovery from last year's lockdown. I mean, impossible, folks. We're fighting to just get back to ground level. Federal unemployment benefits that came out of Biden's mind, I guess, or somebody behind the scenes, the Biden administration extended to millions of Americans for months now. And that's exacerbated a worker shortage that's kneecapped the recovery. If you can't get people to go to work, doesn't matter how much money you have to pay them. If they're not going to work, they're not going to work and you're not going to be open. And then, of course, there's Afghanistan. The Biden administration's disastrous withdrawal will be the subject of many op-eds and think pieces and eventually history books. For now, we've said a lot, we're going to say a lot more today, but right now, it's sufficient to say that each passing day, we learn something new about how Biden and the Pentagon screwed this up. One example, over the weekend, we learned from a report in the Washington Post that on the very day Kabul fell to the Taliban, Abdul Ghani Barardar, the head of the Taliban's political wing, he gave General Kenneth Frank McKenzie, who's head of Central Command for the U.S., he gave the general a choice. Either American troops secure Kabul or the Taliban would control and take care and secure Kabul. McKenzie told him, we only needed the airport. On the spot, an understanding was reached. This is what General McKenzie said. The United States could have the airport until August 31, but the Taliban would control the city. Of course, as we now know, the Taliban, they couldn't control the city. And last week, 13 U.S. soldiers, 12 Marines, one Navy sailor, along with hundreds of Afghans, were killed by a suicide bomb in a pair of coordinated attacks near the airport. Tuesday, Pentagon spokesman Admiral Kirby poopot all the equipment left to the Taliban by us, our military, mind-boggling heavy weaponry, helicopters, fixed-wing airplanes, hundreds of thousands of guns, and even massive amounts of explosives. Kirby said, spokesman for the Pentagon, Admiral Kirby, said there was nothing in that military equipment now in the possession of the Taliban which could be used to attack the U.S. But he forgot to mention something. You know what he forgot? Or maybe he purposely left out? That was any mention that the explosives that were used to kill those 13 American service members last week along with hundreds of Afghans at the Abbey Gate at the Kabul airport, those explosives, guess where they came from? You know, you can trace by the residue of explosives what they were and exactly where they came from. And guess where these came from? They came from the stash of explosives, the very explosives that they got when the Biden administration and General Mark Milley left for the Taliban, they took our explosives and killed our people with it. But Kirby said, none of that stuff could be used to hurt the U.S. Folks, the U.S. is not brick and mortar. The U.S. is me and you. 
and those 13 service members that had their lives snuffed out because the Biden administration just dropped weapons, dropped the keys to Bagram Air Base and ran and gave everything to the Taliban. Meanwhile, the corporate press, keenly aware that things aren't going too well for this White House, guess what? I can see it coming. They're going to soon back away from their critical tone of Afghanistan and resume their usual routine of running cover for Biden. In the coming days, we'll almost certainly see outlandish and highly suspect polls that are going to show that, maybe aside from Afghanistan, hey, Biden's doing pretty well. Actually, considering all the crises his young administration has had to face. Let me give you an example. I just flipped channels an hour or two before the show went on this morning, and I flipped over to Morning Joe on MSNBC. They had an insider from the Biden administration, a young woman, and she actually painted a picture of just how much the Taliban helped Americans to get out of Kabul. They were actually, she said, the reason the Biden administration turned over a list of the names of Americans, the reason they did that was these Americans were to report to the Taliban at these checkpoints and that the Taliban had promised, we'll help you, we'll actually lead you through the riffraff and the thousands of Afghans that are struggling to get on an airplane to get out of Kabul. The Taliban was going to lead them to those gates and right to the airplanes to get on. They actually said that. They've already started this cover job for Biden's horrible, horrendous leadership and the cost that Americans are paying. Don't buy this line, folks. Biden hadn't been overtaken by events. He's not a hapless victim of history or coincidence. Every problem his White House has encountered, it's made worse. Every crisis his administration has faced has been of its own making. And as bad as things have been thus far, I hate to be a prophet, and I don't know that I am, but I can tell you, I am convinced it's not only going to get worse, it's going to get much worse. There's one very obvious commonality in each of these crises that Americans are experiencing in this presidency. One that reaches across all of them. What is it, Dan? Joe Biden. He's the guy that in every speech regarding anything contentious that he addresses, he always states this, the buck stops here. And each time he says that, almost immediately, he blames Everything bad that happens on the Trump administration, the the small two-and-a-half-minute audio bite that we pulled out of his speech that we played opening the show today, you heard him immediately do that. Oh, man, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened since sliced cheese. And it would be better if Donald Trump had given us a better starting point. None of that, folks, should surprise us. That's the exact process that was employed by former President Obama and his vice president. Of course, that was Mr. Biden. They use that every year in their administration, all eight of them. Everything that good that happened in those eight years, much of which was instigated and started, put in place 
during Bush 43's terms in office. They took credit for all the good stuff from the Bush administration. But everything bad that happened for eight years in the Obama-Biden administration, it was because of George W. Bush. Oh my gosh, they were horrible. They did all of this and all of that. Not one time, not one time in the eight years that Barack Obama and Joe Biden were in office did any negative thing that happened did they take responsibility for it. So what, what am I saying? Hey, Joe took his lead from his best friend, his big buddy, Barack Obama. He taught Joe how to deflect any accountability for any decision you make. The closest Obama ever came, you remember that trillion-dollar stimulus funding program that he put together and passed out hundreds of millions of dollars to his cronies, to his friends, and the justification was, we're going to we're going to go after infrastructure. We're going to change the world. We're going to put new highways on every square inch of the United States. And he got caught on an open microphone. He wasn't admitting it. He snickered, and everybody in the room snickered with him later on when the truth of this debacle began to unfold. We just lost a trillion dollars, literally. And he got busted when he said this. <laughs> well, I guess those shovel-ready jobs weren't shovel-ready after all. <laughs> it's no big deal. But you never, never take responsibility. You always tell people, oh, like Joe does, the buck stops here. I'm the boss. Real bosses, folks, real leaders, they take responsibility even if it's not their direct responsibility for decisions that were made by people that work for them. Every true leader takes responsibility for anything that goes wrong in whatever they're leading, including the United States of America. Folks, some things never change. 13 American soldiers and their families found out the hard way that some things do change. Some things happen. Some bad stuff happens to a lot of people, not because of choices they make, but the choices that others make. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that what we've seen so far is just happening and has happened in a fishbowl, that it stands alone, it's an isolated thing? Let me tell you what, folks. Again, I'm not a prophet, but I'm going to tell you this. What's going on right now in D.C., behind the scenes, it started probably weeks ago. There are people that do nothing but come up. They create plans. They put operations in place on paper. They talk it through among themselves. They get together and they collude and they come up with things, things that can be instigated almost instantly to cover up for any wrongdoing that's exposed. What's the latest wrongdoing that we're watching breathlessly all day, every day? The withdrawal from Afghanistan. What was it a month ago? It wasn't Afghanistan. It was Two million illegals coming into the United States through our southern border because Joe Biden opened the gates. That was every day, all day. 
members of Congress going to the southern border, reporting there, the Biden administration not allowing media to show what's going on down there, Alexander Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, he's standing up and he's bragging about them opening the southern border. We, we don't talk about that anymore. They segued right into Afghanistan so we wouldn't talk about the southern border. September 11th is just around the corner. In fact, it's 10 days from today. 10 days from today. What you want to bet, sometime between now and midnight, September 11th, we find, we awaken to one more massive debacle. Maybe of our own doing, maybe at the hands of somebody else from some other country. But I bet you, and I'm not a betting guy, but I'll bet you there's going to be something big and it's just around the corner to deflect our attention away from Afghanistan. Folks, Biden can't survive this if it stays out there. The Democrat Party can't survive this if it stays out there, if more and more truth comes out, if all of the stuff that's been hidden by this administration comes out. They can't afford to let that happen. If they do, oh my gosh, there's no telling what will happen, what the American people will do. Not people in Congress, because it's controlled totally. Both houses in the White House, controlled by the Democrat Party. So, somebody asked me this morning, how can we fix this? What can we do? We're Americans. I told you the question that was asked me was, how many signatures on a petition does it take to give us the right to impeach a president? We can't do it. That's out of our hands. But what we can do is to push for every one of those who are directly and indirectly responsible for this failure and each and every failure. Demand that they resign. They leave. Dan, who would you say should leave? Who should resign? Well, let's start with this. How about Secretary of State Antony Blinken? And then there's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Secretary of Defense General Lloyd Austin. And Chairman of the Joint Chiefs General Mark Milley. Now, all four of those have a lot of things in common, but let me tell you the the most common and the most, uh, the number one thing that sticks out in my mind that ties all four of these together, those four were at the heart of all of the bad stuff that happened in Libya, you know, Benghazi, and those um, Syrian rebels that we needed to help them. They were going to fight the government in Syria, Ashur Abar, Basha whatever his name is. He was gassing his own people. He was slaughtering his own people. We've got to arm those Syrian rebels. That was Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Antity Blinken and our current national security advisor, Jake Sullivan. They worked for Hillary Clinton, who was the head of Central Command. Our current Secretary of Defense, General Lloyd Austin, who was a big other general at the Pentagon that weighed in on all that? General Mark Milley, now our chairman of the Joint Chiefs. They all, every one of them, 
need to turn in their resignations immediately. We need to write letters and demand for their resignations. But that's not a clean slate. That's just a start. How about getting rid of CIA director William Burns? FBI director Christopher Ray, boy, he's got a lot of history in nasty decisions and horrible leadership, doesn't he? And then there's Attorney General Merrick Garland, the head of the Department of Justice, folks. And here's here's the last one, and this one, it, it, it will shock you because you've never heard of this person probably, Director of National Intelligence, the Office of Department of National Intelligence. This is the place where all of the 17 intelligence agencies, all of their investigations, results, everything that's going on in places like the CIA and the FBI and the other ones, they all come through this one office. Do you even know who the director of national intelligence is now? Avril Haines. Avril Haines. The first director of national intelligence that was a a woman. So who was Avril? You know anything about, let me just give you a little bit about this and what I'm going to tell you, somebody in her camp actually wrote this and published. This is about her. It goes through about, I don't know, 20 paragraphs of her upbringing. She grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Now, what does that tell you? Tells me she's from a very wealthy family. That's a part of Manhattan, folks, where you don't have property that sells with five zeros. (laughs) They have six or seven zeros behind the first number. Really expensive. Really expensive. Now, obviously, you would think she has tons of government intelligence background, and she's a lawyer. They always are. She's not a lawyer. She graduated from Hunter College High School. And then she decided to go to Japan for a year. And she enrolled at the Kodokan Elite Judo Institute in Tokyo. In 1988, she enrolled in the University of Chicago, where she studied theoretical physics. While she was there, folks, she worked repairing car engines at a mechanic shop. In 1991, she took up flying lessons in New Jersey where she met her future husband, David Davigi. She graduated with her Bachelor of Arts in Physics in 1992. Not a Bachelor of Science in Physics. You go puzzle this one out. I didn't know they had Bachelor of Arts in Physics. I thought physics was a science. Maybe her version, which remember, was theoretical physics. In 92, she moved to Baltimore. She re-enrolled as a doctoral student at Johns Hopkins University. Later that year, year she dropped out with her future husband. She bought a bar in Baltimore. Oh, but don't fret. They turned it into an independent bookstore and a cafe. She named the store Adrian's Book Cafe after her late mother. Her realistic oil paintings filled the store. The bookstore won City Paper's Best Independent Bookstore in 97 and was known for having an unusual collection of literary offerings, local writers, and small press publications. 
she hosted a number of literary readings, including erotica readings, which became a media focus when she was appointed by President Obama to be the deputy director of the CIA. She served out now, of course, you know, you just heard me. That's her background. And that qualified her to be the deputy director of the CIA. Wow. She became a legal officer at the Hague Conference on Private International Law in 2001. In 02, she became a law clerk for the U.S. Court of Appeals in the CIS Circuit. From 03 to 06, she worked in the office of the legal advisor of the Department of State, first in the Office of Treaty Affairs and then in the Office of Political Military Affairs. In 07 and 08, she worked for the United States Senate Committee on Foreign Relations as Deputy Chief Counsel. Deputy Chief Counsel. Every other situation, that's always an attorney. She's not an attorney. And of course, she worked for the majority Senate Democrats at the time. And guess who was the chairman of that committee? Joe Biden. In the Obama administration, she worked for the State Department as the Assistant Legal Advisor. In 2010, she was appointed to serve in the office of the White House Counsel as Deputy Assistant to the President and Deputy Counsel to the President for National Security Affairs at the White House. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And she worked in the CIA. And guess who she worked for? John Brennan. And now she is the director of national intelligence. Folks, all of these people, they're in the tank politicians. They are not just everyday, educated, trained, knowledgeable people sufficient to run the departments they're over in the government. All of those military leaders, every one of them, General Lloyd Austin, Chairman of Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, that's the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, folks. Those are military leaders. They have never participated in a war in the United States that we won. They don't know how to win. To find out how to win a war, they have to go all the way back to the history of World War II. That's the last war the United States won. Our military leaders, they have perfected the art of cutting a deal so that everybody can walk away and save face. After all, that's more important. We get into a war supposedly because people stand up against us and hurt us or hurt our allies. We have all of these agreements with nations all over the world. NATO. Oh my gosh. There's a rule in NATO. If one of our partners in NATO, any partner in NATO gets in a war. Everybody else in NATO has to join in. (laughs) Of all the people, all the countries in NATO, I would think the United States should be the one to take the lead on everything, and we do on paying the bills. But we don't on leadership, on being decisive, on making decisions that's the best for our country and having access to the best people with the best sources for everything necessary to use to make truthful, factual decisions. 
Folks in American politics today, in American political leadership today, that's vapid. It's gone. Now, there's one reason to make any decision, any choice they make. It's based purely on this one thing. What's best for me personally and my political career? Book on it, folks. Back after this. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say the that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. I just want to go lay down somewhere and put some headphones on and listen to some good old time hits from the 60s and 70s and 80s. It's amazing, folks. Sometimes we just got to find ways to cope with this. And before we move on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let, I told you what Admiral Kirby said in his speech post Pentagon pullout. I told you. But let me. Let me let you listen to the 30 seconds of him, of him saying it himself. And I want that in context as we move forward today. Admiral Kirby, former Admiral Kirby, is the spokesperson for the Pentagon. Here he is yesterday. 
The other issue is, what did we turn over to the Afghan forces as we retrograded out of the country and what they did with it? And of course, we know uh, that there's quite a bit of material in, in the batch that the Afghans had that the Taliban now uh, have access to. There's no question about mm -hmm. that. But what I would tell you about this, Dan, is the kinds of equipment we're talking about, while certainly there's a lethality component to it, it doesn't, threat, it doesn't pose a threat uh, to the United States. It doesn't pose a threat uh, to, uh, to neighboring nations. I mean, these are are not these are not the kinds of things uh, that the Taliban can make great strategic use out of. So what you heard there is the exact example, the epitome of everything we're going to hear from now till the end of the Biden administration, whenever that is. It's because everything that happens, if it's bad, somebody else did it, you know, and it's not as bad as it looks. And you just heard Kirby. Make that all, oh, it's okay that we left $83 billion worth of military assets to the Taliban, and we know they're going to use them against other people. And, oh, by the way, while he's saying that, they have one of our Black Hawk helicopters. They're flying over Kabul, Kabul, however you want to say it, and they've got an Afghani, one of those people that worked with the Americans, you know, in military and intelligence and we promised when they went to work for us 20 years ago or sometime in the last 20 years, hey, if you work with us, we're going to be your buddies. We're going to be your partners. And if and when we ever pull out, we're going to take you out with your family. So Black Hawk helicopter flying over this big city with a rope hanging out of the Black Hawk helicopter and dangling at the end by the neck was one of those Afghans. But, you know, they're not going to hurt us with all these helicopters and these 350,000 automatic rifles that we left. Oh, they're not going to hurt the United States. They're peaceful people. We're going to hear that tenor and excuse after excuse going forward. And by the way, here's another guy. Admiral Kirby, he needs to resign as well. All these guys in leadership that they do nothing but make excuses for bad decisions that they and others like themselves have made. Here's another one, folks. Yesterday, I mean right after the pullout, the vacating, the evacuation of Afghanistan was over, the Pentagon admitted that hundreds of of Americans that were seeking evacuation have been left in Afghanistan. In announcing, when he announced it, General Frank McKenzie, who's the Central Command CENTCOM, he said that there are still Americans who remain in Afghanistan, and he made it okay by saying this, in the low hundreds, he made the remarks on live television a televised address in response to one reporter's question, adding that the military and the State Department are going to work to evacuate those individuals. Now, let me ask you this. We pulled out. We left them $83 billion of our military equipment. What could they possibly see in working with our State Department <laughs> and our military now? to let these Americans out. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You can you can bet this is going to happen. It's not if it's going to happen. It's when it's going to happen. We're going to see Americans 
on television. International networks, that would be the likes of CNN, MSNBC, and some of the others. Al Jazeera probably is where it would appear first. Some of the ISIS atrocities, that's where they appeared. That's where I witnessed my first beheading was on Al Jazeera's on-site network. That's the network you may remember that the guy who invented the internet and he is the god of climate change, Al Gore, he owned Al Jazeera and he sold it to a government in the Middle East. We're going to see Americans, folks, that are facing extermination at the hands of the Taliban. Maybe not the Taliban. Maybe it'll be ISIS-K or RRZ, one of the numerous dozens of Islamist extremists, terrorists, that now control the nation of Afghanistan. And we left, and we left our own there. Joe Biden will never be able to get away from that. And Frank McKenzie, I don't even think he knew what he was saying when he said it. Quote, there's a lot of heartbreak associated with this departure. We did not get everybody out that we wanted to get out. Adding that it is a quote-unquote tough situation. And then he made an excuse. Remember, he's talking to reporters, and they're asking questions. He added that he believed if we stayed another 10 days, we wouldn't have gotten everybody out, and there still would have been people who would have been disappointed. So now he's a prophet. He knows what would have happened if we had, you know, done the right thing, stayed, honored what Biden said on national television just 10 days ago. Oh, we're going to stay until we get every American out. And then here's McKenzie admitting there are still Americans who remain in Afghanistan in the low hundreds. It's just one thing after another. Let me tell you something else that nobody reported on until overnight. President Biden in June, he waived, he waived a congressional mandate. Now, we have three co-equal branches of government. We have the administrative branch. That's the White House, presidential administration. We have the legislative branch. That's the House and the Senate. They make laws. And then we have the judiciary. That's the legal system that they determine broken laws, things that can't be legally done, maybe some things that have been done that are illegal and need to be reversed. So did you hear what I said in this story? President Biden in June waived a congressional mandate that would have required the Pentagon to provide members of Congress with a detailed report about all the risk, all the potential bad stuff that was going to happen if and when we left Afghanistan. Under federal statute law, that's a law, the Biden administration was barred from reducing troops in Afghanistan to less than 2,000 unless first they brief Congress about the expected impact of U.S. counterterrorism operations and the risk to Americans. You know, those funny people that 
All they do is send money to Washington to fund all of this political hackery, thuggery, whatever you want to call it. Biden just waived the mandate. And his reason for doing it, he argued that providing this information to Congress could undermine the national security interest of the United States. In other words, members of Congress, he can't trust them because it's classified information. I haven't heard, I promise you, I've never heard of a Republican in Congress on Intelligence Committee, either side, House or Senate, Judiciary Committee on either side, House or Senate. I've never heard of a Republican releasing classified information. (laughs) But through all of the four years of the Trump administration, almost daily, Adam Schiff was making phone calls, telling reporters (laughs) what went on in classified briefings. The Biden administration apparently assured Congress for months that U.S. trained Afghan forces, they were sufficient. They could forestall a Taliban takeover when troops left, when our troops left. But the Taliban overran the Afghan National Army, took control of Kabul in about three days, (laughs) As the last troops were leaving, resulting in the chaotic and deadly evacuation of U.S. personnel and allies, for those of them, our personnel and allies that were lucky enough to get out, the rest of them were over there hiding for their lives. Literally, hiding for their lives. National security experts and Republican lawmakers, they went public with the Washington Free Beacon. And they said the waiver blocked Congress and the public from knowing the administration's internal national security assessments prior to the withdrawal. If we had answers to these, we might not be in the horrible debacle we're in now. That's according to Bradley Bowman, who's a senior director of the Center on Military and Political Power at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. I think the fact that they used the national security waiver to refuse to answer these questions in the light of day, that would have been interesting, tells me, he said, their answers could not have stood up to scrutiny. But this is no big deal in this administration. They do this all the time. This is the way Joe wants to run it. And you know what that's called in world political circles? Autocracy, autocratic leadership by one or a very small group of people that don't rely on anyone else for authority or any permission to make any decisions about anything. And then Biden in his speech yesterday, this is this he just he just dumbed down on stupid. He just doubled down on it. There's no deadline for getting out the Americans who are still in Afghanistan after US troops withdrew from the country. He said that yesterday. Yesterday was the first time he's spoken publicly since the withdrawal. He called the evacuation mission an extraordinary success. At the same time, he pointed to thousands of Americans and tens of thousands of Afghans who were flown from Kabul on U.S. military or U.S. facilitated flights. Then he turned to the estimated 100 to 200 Americans who were still there, appearing to pin some responsibility on them, 
I could not believe the President of the United States would do that in the public, especially in a public speech. He pinned the responsibility on these people. Here's what he said, quote, Since March, we reached out 19 times to Americans in Afghanistan with multiple warnings and offers to help them leave. All the way back as far as March, he said. Most of the Americans who stayed behind are dual citizens who had earlier decided to stay because of their family roots. He said that later on. The bottom line, 90% of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. That makes it just okay. 90% of those that wanted, we got out. Oh, pat us on the back for that, folks. And for those remaining Americans, there is no deadline. We remain committed to get them out if they want to come out, he said. That's their go-to fallback excuse. Every American didn't want to come out. What about the hundreds that have been appearing on every major network for days, sneaking to a telephone, calling, begging for help, calling their members in the United States, their representatives in the House and the Senate, begging for assistance. Somebody get in the president's ear and tell him where I am. Meanwhile, the French and the British, they're sending in their commandos, and they got most, if not all, of their people out. White House Press Secretary Saki later told reporters in a press conference that Biden was referring to people who have roots in Afghanistan. Oh, that makes it okay. We can leave them there. I know this is hard for people to understand who grew up and live here. This is where they've lived. This is where their family members are. This is their communities. Maybe they own shops. Maybe they have 50 family members or 20 family members. This is not an easy decision to leave. We understand that. And what the president is saying, if you decide to leave next week, if you decided two days ago and we couldn't get you out, we're going to get you out. Boy, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy. What about you? Now, the Taliban terrorist group, of course, we believe everything they commit to and everything they promise. They said it's going to let Americans who want to depart the country leave. And the United States will hold them to that commitment. U.S. officials, they have said it again and again. We've got those people's back. We're going to see some of those people that they're getting their backs, the Biden administration. We're going to see them paraded before cameras right before they're either shot in the back of the head or beheaded. I promise you that's going to happen. Biden also said evacuations couldn't have started sooner and that the August 31st deadline was kept in place because top advisors, including, of course, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, claimed that withdrawing was the safest way to get the remaining Americans out. How the heck can you justify saying that? That is one of the stupidest things I've heard come out of the mouths of any leader. And I'm not in the military. I'm not an expert in anything. I'm an American. I'm a taxpayer. I'm a husband, a father, a grandfather. I'm a friend. And here's the most powerful man in our defense, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. He claimed that tucking tail and running 
is the safest way to get the remaining Americans out. Let me ask you this. What does our doing that, what Austin said was the best thing we could do, the safest thing we could get those others out, what does he think that's happening right now as we tuck tail and run, as he did? Do you think those Americans feel safe? Oh, we're just going to stay here. They said, the Taliban said they were going to work with us and they were going to get us out. We trust the Taliban. Yeah, we know they're terrorists, but they're not really bad people. That was all over MSNBC this morning, how great and cooperative and friendly the Taliban are. (laughs) While at the same time, they're supposedly helping our Americans get to the Abbey Gate at the Kabul airport to get on those planes and get out of there. Some of their compadres have women laying on the streets in Kabul pouring gasoline on them and burning them to death or shooting them in the back of the heads because too much of the skin from their face is showing out of their burqa. And they're going to help Americans get out? They think that we're the great Satan and that our women are nothing but low-level prostitutes. They would do that to a fellow Muslim, a fellow Afghan, just because one of the ladies' hair happened to be hanging out from below her burqa. So Biden continued his usual for not taking any questions from reporters. And he faces blowback from Congress, including Democrats now, for sticking to that August 31st deadline. You sure as heck can't abandon Americans in a war zone, leaving them to fend for themselves and expect our enemies to respect us. That's Representative Brian Mass a Republican from Florida, speaking to reporters. Biden has certainly allowed the reputation of the U.S. government to be burned down. And then there's Dan Crenshaw. Gave one of his eyes in battle in the military. He's a Republican from Texas. He said he urged the Biden administration to go back on offense, push back the arbitrary surrender deadline. But he was ignored. The administration has to admit it's wrong. Stop running victory laps like the arson is claiming he did a good job putting the fire out when there are still people inside, he said. Leaving any American citizen behind is unacceptable. And I'll keep pushing this administration to do everything in its power to get our people out. That's Senator Mark Kelly, who's a Democrat, by the way, from Arizona. Others, of course, others praised Biden for withdrawal. Thanks to President Biden's leadership, our military engagement in Afghanistan has finally come to an end. That's Representative Adam Smith, a Democrat from Washington. He, by the way, is chairman of the House Armed Services Committees. They just don't get it. And let me tell you who is going to get it. People that are stuck behind enemy lines over there are going to get it. And what they're going to get, what they're going to get is not good. And it's not just Republicans. It's not just conservative media outlets that are saying this. CNN, Chris Cuomo of all people, had one American citizen, one woman, last night in Kabul, And she sneaked a telephone out and she called Chris Cuomo 
and he spoke with her for a few minutes live. Listen to the emotion in her voice as Chris Cuomo talks to her about her getting out with her family getting out of Afghanistan. Uh, How do you feel on the ground there now that the United States is gone? Is the mood shifting? I just found out that they left and I was just silent for for a little while. And I just went, walk around the rooms and I saw the young kids are sleeping and they have no clue what happened this morning that the last flight is gone and we're left behind. It's heartbreaking to see that with all this, uh, what's going on, no one heard us that we are in danger and we need to be safe. It's just heartbreaking. I don't know. I just don't even know what to say to you. She doesn't know what to say. Did you hear that pain in her voice? Biden, of course, sent a message. Her name is Sarah. He, he sent a message to Sarah. Yeah, he did. Ten days ago with George Stephanopoulos. He looked at the camera and said, George, we're not leaving until every American is out. We're leaving nobody behind. We're not leaving until every American is out. So people that live there, she lives there. I don't know her circumstances. I do know she's an American citizen. So that means one thing. She's an American citizen. Joe Biden, her president, was speaking to her, to George Stephanopoulos, and promised we were not going to leave her behind and her family members behind. But we did. She has no idea what to do. Nobody called her and said, Sarah, look, we're getting our military out of here because we're going to honor our commitment, our agreement that we made last year. We're going to do that. But what we are going to do is we know who you are. We know where you are. We know your circumstances. And we have put the Taliban on notice that if anything bad happens to you, they're going to pay the price to us. They're not going to pay the price to us. They don't want to do that. So they're going to make sure you're okay. Why wouldn't Biden or anybody like that? Why wouldn't all of those people's names that we mentioned at the top of this show that I feel they should all resign? Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, CIA Director, William Burns, FBI Director, Christopher Wray, Attorney General Merrick Garland, Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines. They all need to go. None of them reached out to Sarah. She can't relate to what they promise. She can only relate to what they do. And what they have done, folks, is they left her after promising they wouldn't. She has no idea. In fact, I hate to say it, she may be dead right now. We don't know. And people in D.C., no matter what they say, they don't care. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. 
I see. Too harsh for snuggle muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200 mile per hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, snuggle muffin. What are you doing, snuggle? out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equip. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion smoky barbecue. Cheddar sour cream salt and vinegar too. You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your left your wallet at home but now you have a new best friend the many flavors of lace chips one taste and you're in love hi tom bodette of all the things invented in 1962 some have faded away like cassette tapes and others are still very much with us like lava lamps and motel six yep motel six is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for but we're just getting started in fact the longer you watch us the better we get kind of like a lava lamp trippy i'm tom bodette for motel six 50 years and the light's still on you're standing against the tide of creeping insanity one truth at a time tnn the truth news network that's a good term for it. Creeping insanity. Creeping lower and lower and lower. And who pays the price for that? We Americans do. Those of us that are here safely, well, we are kind of safe over here. We have the pandemic. We have um, hundreds of thousands of illegals that have been waved into the country and are in parts unknown all around the nation. We don't know if they're criminals, we don't know if they came in infected with COVID-19. We know none of that, but we're safe here, especially when we compare our circumstances to Sarah, who's stuck, stranded with her family, American citizen, over behind Taliban lines in Kabul, Afghanistan. We have the ability here and every day, during breaks sometimes, we'll scan the internet and see where people are listening in from some folks listening this morning from the Czech Republic, and we want to say hello to our friends in Europe. You're welcome here. Please know that we care about you. Please don't look at the leadership of our nation and the way they have failed the Afghani people and many Americans at the same time. That's not who we are. We are the kindest, the gentlest, nation on the planet, and this batch of leaders that we have right now are showing the exact opposite. They do not represent the majority of us in the United States. I've not been to the Czech Republic. I've been close. I've always wanted to go, and I know you have a beautiful nation full of beautiful people. In fact, one of my favorite artists is a female from the Czech Republic, Basha. In fact, 
I played one of her songs in our program yesterday here. Thank you for tuning in and listening to us, and feel free to drop us a note. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. A little bit later this hour, we're going to launch into something that may be a little bit different. Yeah, it's going to be, we're going to go through the uh, COVID-19 debacle and the latest there, but there is an expose today by Project Veritas. I don't know if you've seen any of it yet, but we have Mr. O'Keefe, James O'Keefe, who is the uh, the founder of Project Veritas. We've got him on talking about an incident that happened the last couple of days out in California in our education system. And it's scary what you're going to hear. So make sure you listen in for the rest of this hour. Also, don't forget on Friday, Roger Stone, friend of Donald Trump, a compadre, somebody that stood with Donald Trump all through all of the craziness that happened after his election, the Russia collusion. Mueller put Roger Stone, Robert Mueller put Roger Stone in the the bullseye during the Russia collusion investigation. And in the middle of all of that, when Mueller and his 20 in-the-tank Democrat sycophant attorneys that on taxpayer dollars went after Donald Trump and everybody affiliated with him in any way, They simply destroyed Roger Stone's life in every way they possibly could. False charges against him. He didn't know what to do. His wife is still, when I talked to him on Saturday, they're together fighting her stage four cancer. And he's trying to put his life back together that Robert Mueller and the Democrats in Congress, they stole from him. It's a horrible story. But he's going to be here to share with us Friday morning on TNN Live. Make sure you come around. Well, people in the Pentagon yesterday actually came out and admitted that there are Americans that are stranded in Afghanistan. John Kirby, again, the guy you heard from just a little bit ago, he actually acknowledged it. Kirby admitted to not knowing the exact number of Americans still there, but that efforts to extract them from the war-toned country would be through diplomatic and economic means, not with the military. Now, diplomatic means begging. (laughs) That's pretty much all. We don't have any leverage anymore. We're gone. We gave them everything we had. We gave them $83 billion. That's an estimate that was made. And you and I know about American politics. If they say something's valued at $83 million that they screwed up and lost, that means it's probably double that, $160 billion. It's a lot. Now, the only diplomatic process we could use is to ask them to let these Americans that are still there to get out of the country. Economic means, you know what that means? We're not going to give Afghanistan any money. We better not, although you're going to hear in a moment, Jake Sullivan won't, he won't promise that. Economic means, means paying hostage fees. They are, I promise you, they are going to threaten these Americans that are over there that they catch and find. They're going to threaten them and hold them hostage and force the American government to pay to get them released. How do I know that? I don't know that. I have a pretty good idea, and you know why I do, because that's what we've done in the past. Kirby said, right now, I think the tools we have available to us and that we're going to use as 
a U.S. government is going to be more in the diplomatic, the economic lanes. And we don't really see a military role right now. Kirby told host Willie Geist after he asked if the military would have a role in rescuing those Americans. Geist inquired as to how diplomacy was going to get them out of Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. Well, Kirby said, it's not completely unlike the way we do it elsewhere around the world. We have Americans that get stranded in countries all the time, and we do everything we can to try to facilitate safe passage. That's Kirby. Pretty much saying, hey, everything's going to be okay. We've made it very clear, he said, what our expectations are to the Taliban. And if the Taliban want to govern and they say they do, obviously we're going to hold them to their deeds, not just those words. And so there are leverage tools we have available to us to hold them to account. But that's the effort. It's going to be a whole of government effort. But I don't see a military role at this time. Saki, you may remember, she originally claimed uh, in a press briefing, remember when Fox News' Peter Ducey at the White House asked her, basically inferring that it was irresponsible to refer Americans stuck in Afghanistan as stranded. Ducey actually asked her, what is the Biden administration going to do to help those Americans that are stranded there? She didn't get into the what they were going to do. She looked at him and looked down her nose as Democrats in leadership in our government always do it, people that have differing opinions from them. And she said, it's irresponsible to say Americans are stranded. They are not. We are committed to bringing Americans who want to come home to bring them home. And obviously they broke their promise, Biden's promise and Saki's promise. Americans are still there. Now, what about the money, the economic things Kirby was talking about? Well, yesterday, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, I've painted the past of Jake Sullivan. He was in the Obama administration. He was Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's right-hand person, along with Antony Blinken, who is now our Secretary of State. Well, Jake's got an office in the White House, right down the hall from the Oval Office. So he's connected. He's got the ear of the president. Yesterday, he said, Jake did, he wouldn't rule out providing financial aid to the Taliban. He said this on ABC News, Good Morning America. He said that giving aid to the Taliban will be about whether the terrorist organization follows through on its commitments, including safe passage for Americans and Afghan allies. First of all, Jake said, we do believe that there is an important dimension of humanitarian assistance that could go directly to the people of Afghanistan. They need help with respect to health and food aid and other forms of subsistence, and we do intend to continue that. Secondly, when it comes to our economic and development assistance relationship with the Taliban, that will be about the Taliban's actions. It'll be about whether they follow through on their commitments, their commitments to safe passage for Americans and Afghan allies, their commitment to not allow Afghanistan to be a base from which terrorists can attack the U.S. or any other country, their commitments with respect to upholding international obligations. It's going to be up to them 
and we'll wait and see by their actions how we end up responding in terms of the economic and developmental assistance relationship. Host George Stephanopoulos, he's the one. He is the anointed one at ABC News. He's very qualified. After all, he worked for eight years in the Bill Clinton administration. George asked Sullivan if the assistance would flow through the Taliban. Oh, it's not going to flow through the Taliban, Sullivan replied. As you know, George, when we send humanitarian assistance to countries, we do so through international institutions like the World Health Organization or the World Food Program. And we do so through a non-governmental organization who, George, are still operating on the ground in Afghanistan as we speak. It will not flow through the government. Now, let me just say this. He has no authority. Jake Sullivan has no authority to spend a dollar of any of American taxpayer money on anything, period. He doesn't. But the guy he works for has the ability to find ways to do it. And I can promise you this. If they think, they being the Afghanistan, the Taliban over there that control the country now, if they think there's some way they can change what Jake said, you know, like rolling out a few Americans, put them on televisions, or just just do a YouTube video and send it over to Jake and Joe and look at those Americans and tell Joe and tell Jake, hey, you see these people? Just so you know, you don't send us money, not through the well... World Health Organization, not through the World Food Program, but here's our bank account number. You don't send that. These people, we're going to cut their throats on live television. You don't think a terrorist organization would do that? You don't think this terrorist organization, the Taliban, have done that? You don't think that? Again, I'll tell you, I was sent during the weekend a video from Kabul, Afghanistan. Close-up video. There were eight men on their knees on the ground. Standing behind them were eight Taliban terrorists. And those guys on the ground were some of those Afghan nationals that had helped us through our 20-year occupation there in Afghanistan. These were eight of them. You know, the ones that we promised we'd get out. Joe Biden promised he'd get out. This was part of the deal cut with the Taliban, by former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and former President Donald Trump. This was one of those things that if the Taliban did, the deal was off. What was this? What would make the deal go off? They summarily shot each of these eight Afghans on their knees on the ground in the back of the head and killed them. Live television. And then we see yesterday an Afghan national dangling from a rope, hanging out of one of our Black Hawk helicopters flying over the city so everybody there could see. Here's what's going to happen to you if you cooperate with the Americans. If you don't tell us where all the Americans are in Kabul and around surrounding areas, this is what's going to happen to you. Those are the people that Jake thinks won't hold Americans hostage (laughs) and that we're going to give them some food and they're going to be okay. 
That's just like Marie Harf. You remember her? You used to see her recently. You would see her on uh, the noon show at Fox where they have outnumbered. She was one of, she was the designated Democrat on the couch. Well, before she had that gig, she actually worked for Jen Psaki in the Obama administration. Jen Psaki was the spokesperson for the Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton. When Jen Psaki was out, Marie Harf would come to the microphone and uh, give little speeches and answer questions. And the big one was when Benghazi was going on, somebody asked her about how the Americans were going to treat these so-called Syrian rebels. These were the ones that the Hillary Clinton folks, they decided to fund, and not just fund, give them weapons to take on Bashar Assad, the dictator of Syria that was gassing his own people. Oh, we've got to arm these people. Well, those people were terrorists, and they were killing people. They really didn't care who they killed. By the way, they killed four Americans in Benghazi down in Libya. They slaughtered them. And so somebody in the crowd, somebody in the media, asked Marie Harf, what are we going to do about these fighters and these Syrian rebels out there? What are we going to do about them? And she actually said this, what Americans don't understand is this would all go away if we would just help get these fighters jobs. If we'd help them get jobs, they wouldn't blow people up. They wouldn't cut off people's heads if we just get them jobs. That sounds exactly what Jake Sullivan said here. Oh, they need us. Yeah, we need, we're going to give them food. Oh my gosh, we're going to take care of humanitarian assistance. That's what we do at the United States. And we're going to, by doing that, we're going to make them be good people again. They're really good people. A lot of them have just had bad breaks in their lives. Representative Mike Gallagher, do you know him? Have you seen him? He's an ex, ex-military person, served in war. He's a member of the House of Representatives for Wisconsin. He was a Marine. He has, he has really stepped to the front about this thing that's going on, this thing that has been happening for some time by the Biden administration or Afghanistan. Here's Mike Gallagher after Biden's speech yesterday in Washington. Let's start with the hard and obvious truth. The president of the United States is lying. He called this an extraordinary success, but 12 Marines and one sailor dead that did not need to die is not a success. Hundreds of Americans left behind. Thousands more of our Afghan allies effectively condemned to death under the Taliban is not a success. Billions of dollars worth of U.S. military equipment left in the hands of fundamentalist terrorists is not a success. Far from a success, this is a fiasco and a humiliating failure. And for the Democrats to celebrate it as a success, for Democrats here in D.C. to be fundraising off of this failure is absolutely unconscionable. And for them to block the bill that I tried to put forward on the House this morning, on the House floor, 
and I was gaveled down, which simply would have required the administration to submit a plan and not recognize the Taliban and not pay ransom payments to the Taliban and also a list of all the U.S. military equipment left behind. Mm -hmm. Quite honestly, I'm baffled by it. So we're going to have a long way to go to rebuild our credibility because this president has given it a massive blow with this fiasco and failure in Afghanistan. You know, Congressman Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin, um, he just laid it out there. I mean, let's face it, it was, it was pretty harsh what he said, but it was true, folks. It was true. Guess what the Washington Post, Washington Post of all places, guess what they had to say? Their editorial board, they deemed the Biden administration's chaotic withdrawal of troops and the evacuation efforts out of Afghanistan a moral disaster in an editorial. You don't hear this. I was shocked when I saw this. The Washington Post actually did it. They deemed the Biden administration's withdrawal as a moral disaster. I don't need to tell you all about it. We know what it was, but the editorial said America's leaving thousands of people behind. This is a moral disaster. Now, the Biden administration, they touted the fact 122,000 people were evacuated out of the country since the end of July. Most of them Afghan nationals who they said they would help, and they did. Uh, they're also telling us 122,000. They're all vetted. Well, they're all vetted. They're either all uh, refugees that we investigated, we vetted, we know who they are and their backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. Most of them are those SIV. They have those visas. Nobody got out that we don't know about and know everything about them. That's what they're telling everybody. Well, you just heard Mike Gallagher, congressman from Wisconsin, one of the places that the Biden administration are sending, directly sending from Afghanistan to the U.S. for these people to be processed in is at an air base in Wisconsin. So he was up there over the weekend, Congressman Gallagher was. And he went in and they have 2,000 of these refugees there. So they were told, the Wisconsin government was told by the military, the U.S. military, these 2,000 we're sending there, these are SIV visas. These are people that have worked with us. They're involved directly, and the family members of those involved directly with our military, our intelligence communities. Gallagher goes up there, and he starts looking at the paperwork on these people. Of the 2,000, guess how many are SIV visa people, people that had been vetted, really vetted, had the ability to look into their backgrounds, how many of those 2,000 fell in that category? Zero. Not one. All 2,000 were just people that somehow got on a plane. They weren't vetted. They didn't have SIV visas. They just got through the gates, loaded them up, and flew them to Wisconsin. Hey, hey, hey. And what Gallagher said is going on in Wisconsin at that air base is most egregious. The head, the general that heads that air base, told Congressman Gallagher that these people have the right to leave at any time. They can leave the air base, they can go out for a period of time and come back, or they can just leave. Doesn't that make you feel safe? Doesn't it make you feel warm and fuzzy? that that's going on right now. I'm thankful that I don't live close to Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, 
It's the same thing, folks. I mean, they've been doing it at the southern border for seven months, the exact same thing. Y'all come on in. Come on in. So there have been, and this is the final thing we're going to talk about today about Afghanistan. It's 1030. Oh my gosh, we got 30 minutes left of this show. We've all seen the family members of those 13 American service members that died last week in that bombing over there. And we've all seen and heard how our government is so ineffective and walked away, turned their backs on hundreds of Americans at least. And when they tell us the hundreds in the low 100s is what uh, General McKenzie said, if they tell us that, it's probably more like 600 to 1,000 or maybe even more Americans over there that are stranded. So there are really good people that are looking in and seeing this, that they're not satisfied with just not doing nothing. One former British soldier has plotted an escape from Afghanistan with hundreds of refugees in tow. His name is Ben Slater. He used to work as a bodyguard to British ambassadors abroad. He's a Brit. Now he's charting a course through Taliban-controlled lands right now, folks, with 400 Afghan citizens, including staff from his own organization that's called the Nomad Concepts Group. After the British Foreign Office failed to approve his visas for the evacuation through the air of these 400 Afghan citizens. It's going to be a long trip, he said. And I'm hoping on the other end that the FCDO, which is a British organization in the government, have got our visas sorted out or at least have spoken to the foreign affairs ministry in our destination country to allow access for our staff. Slater helped evacuate dozens of people from Afghanistan during the Britain airlifts. And he said he feels massively let down by his government. Instead, he's taken matters into his own hand. He's got 50 individuals that work for him, mainly women. He revealed neither his convoy's location nor its destination. The rest of the group, Afghan nationals who are eager to get out of the country. The Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office has not commented on what's going on, and they didn't deny it. They didn't confirm it. They said anything going on now, they're not going to comment on. They said our staff are working tirelessly to facilitate the swift evacuation of British nationals, Afghan staff, and others at risk. The scale of the evacuation effort is huge. We've helped nearly 15,000 people leave Afghanistan since the evacuation began. We continue to put pressure on the Taliban to allow safe passage out of Afghanistan for those who want to leave. There's even today a congressman from the state of Oklahoma. I don't have his name in front of me. He went over. In fact, here it is. I just This just popped up. His name is Mark Wayne Mullen, a representative from Oklahoma. He's gone missing after he was involved in a rogue evacuation mission to rescue five American citizens that the Biden administration left behind. This morning, the Washington Post said this, 
The call to the U.S. ambassador to Tajikistan came in Monday. On the line, two U.S. officials said was Representative Mark Wayne Mullins of Oklahoma with an unusual and urgent request. He needed assistance in transporting a huge amount of cash into the country, saying he was going to neighboring Afghanistan to rescue five American citizens, a woman and her four children, stuck in the country. They planned to hire a helicopter for the effort. The congressman told the embassy that he planned to fly from Tbilisi, Georgia, into Tajikistan's capital, Dushanbe, in the next few hours and needed the top diplomat's help. That's according to two U.S. officials familiar with this. The answer he got was no. Embassy officials told Mullen they could not assist him in skirting Tajikistan's laws on cash limits on his way to visit one of the most dangerous places on earth. He, of course, was outraged by the response, threatening U.S. Ambassador John Mark Palmershine and embassy staff and demanding to know the name of staff members to whom he was speaking. Mullen now has gone missing, which came one week after he traveled to Greece where he requested permission to travel to Kabul from the Department of Defense. Mullen's request for help in an unauthorized evacuation effort was denied, according to a Pentagon official. This is a sad day for our country, Mullen said in the statement. Americans have been stranded in Afghanistan by the Biden administration. Now we're left to defend themselves from terrorists overrunning the country. One motto of our military is leave no man behind. But today, that's exactly what President Biden did. Our prayers go out for Congressman Mullen. Yeah, what he's doing and the way he's doing it is a bit of a cowboy kind of action. But folks... The Biden administration's not going after these Americans that are stuck over there. They're just not. Somebody's got to do it. When you see a young man, I'm looking at a picture of Mark Wayne Mullen. He looks like he's probably in his mid-30s, maybe close to 40 years old. He's out there, and he's serving the people of Oklahoma and the United States Congress. He wants something done. He doesn't want to sit by and watch Americans Americans die because our federal government left them. I have a lot of respect for a man that'll stand up and do that. We're going to take our last break. We're going to take our last break today. Um, Folks, let me tell you, I know there's a lot on your heart. There's a lot on my heart. We're all kind of caught up in this. We're hanging on every word every news story, every interview, every press release that we see, looking for facts, looking for things we can do. Let me tell you something we can all do. You may not have the ability to write a big check or you may not have any political connections, but what you can do is you can pray. Pray for these Afghans. Pray for these American citizens stuck over there and pray for Congressman Mullen. We can all do that. We need to do that. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie. Hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie. Guess what today is. 
It's hump day. Woo woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please? I'm here for the most wanted. Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that? The gang known as the Western Whopper. Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes, I need them now. Try the new Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers at your nearest BK today. Burger King, have it your way. When the lie becomes the norm, speaking the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. Hey, you know what else is going on while we're dealing with this Afghanistan get-out-of-town issue? We have a pandemic going on, folks. Oh, and yeah, every day, still a bunch of people flooding across the southern border. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Have you heard much about COVID-19, about the treatment, about the deaths, about the infections, about the medicine? Very, very little. It's out there, and we've monitored it. And uh, every day, folks, there's lots of things going on, pretty much the same stuff that's been happening from the beginning. And we still are dealing with the push for mask mandates around the country. I'm going to predict something for you. The vaccination mandates... They're coming, folks. They're coming. Told you a month ago, two months ago, they're going to try to force every American to be vaccinated for COVID-19. Now, will it be successful? Can they do that? All those questions are still out there. And uh, I think they kind of like that out there. They're being the elites that uh, really run our government. I'm talking about from the White House on down. Uh, There are a lot of Republicans that think mask mandates and even vaccination mandates are in order. Well, one Ohio judge kind of disagrees with that. He ruled in favor of the use of a drug that these same people led by Dr. Anthony Fauci don't want this medicine to be recommended for use in treating any COVID-19 patients. Ivermectin is the name of it. It's a therapy that so far has not been approved by federal health agencies for this. It's been approved and it's been being used very successfully for years. The order of this controversial drug was made last week by Judge Gregory Howard following an August 20th lawsuit by Julie Smith on behalf of her 51-year-old husband, Jeffrey who's been struggling with COVID in the ICU at Westchester Hospital in Ohio. And she wanted to use ivermectin. And they won't do it at the hospital. It's not part of their uh, process. Julie claimed in her lawsuit her husband had been on a ventilator for 19 days after he had remdesivir, plasma, and steroids treatment. And they've all failed. Feeling hopeless, she reached out to their physician, Dr. Fred Wagschul, who had recommended ivermectin, the widely rumor-affected therapy for COVID-19 patients, for some patients. But their hospital declined to prescribe the drug as it has not been officially accepted here in the United States. According to FDA, ivermectin is known for treating parasitic worms in animals and humans. 
But it's stressed, and it still does. Went public on Monday of this week saying, stop using this on people. They stress that ivermectin products for animals are different from ivermectin products for people. Ivermectin is ivermectin. There may be some differences in the dosage amounts, but it's if it's ivermectin, folks, it's ivermectin. In regard to the treatment of COVID-19, the FDA only said it had not reviewed data to support its use. Hence, would not recommend its use. Julia said the complaint that she signed a full release freeing the hospital from any and all liability related to the ivermectin administration. Her plea was accepted by the judge. Thanks to the ruling, Jeffrey would now receive ivermectin following their physician's prescription, which would be a daily consumption of 30 milligram doses over a period of three weeks. In her statement, or in its statement about the drug, the agency, the FDA, had warned about people seeking the wrong type of ivermectin for animals, which could lead to poisoning. It said such reports had been common. On August 21st, the FDA once again on Twitter stated the problem when people mistakenly seek ivermectin for animals, you're not a horse, you are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. That's exactly verbatim what the FBA put out. Now, let me tell you what that is. I'm gonna, this is what they said again. This is in their statement. You are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. Do you know what that is? That's not even a, a feigned attempt at diminishing people in the South, people that are Rural people. Rural people are the only ones that would want to use ivermectin to treat this very complicated disease, COVID-19. And you want to do it with something you give to a horse or a cow? But what about its effectiveness? The FDA put it shortly. Some initial research is underway adding that it can be very dangerous, as any drug, if it's misused, can be very dangerous. According to the Wall Street Journal, folks, ivermectin was certified in 1996. 1996, it was certified by who? The FDA. And among the 4 billion doses administered since then, only 28 cases of serious adverse events were reported. The medicine was also said to be safe for use in pregnant women, children, and infants. FDA didn't mention that. A June 2020 study that was published in the journal Antiviral Research found out that ivermectin fights 21 different viruses, including, by the way, SARS-CoV-2, which is the cause of COVID-19. A single dose reduced the viral load of SARS-CoV-2 in cells by 99.8% in 24 hours and 99.98% in 48 hours. This is just another rung in this political ladder of seizing control of power over all Americans by our government and the so-called experts that are making all these decisions. Remember, He was treated first with this miracle drug that back a year and a half ago, Anthony Fauci touted remdesivir. It is the panacea. 
It's going to fix this thing. We're finally going to have something that's going to take care of it. They started using it in California. Only can be done intravenously over a three-day period. And it costs $3,000 a dose, by the way. And Anthony Fauci has a financial state in it. But then as it rolled out, folks, after very limited laboratory testing, human trials, people began to die. People began to have horrible reactions to remdesivir. And very quietly, they quit using it. And when they quit using it and went to other treatments for these patients, they began to live. While uncertainties about ivermectin's power with COVID have been due to not yet available data for view, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky a couple of days ago accused the tentative research into this medicine has been due to the hatred for former President Donald Trump, who had endorsed it after rallying from his coronavirus infection. The hatred for Trump deranged these people so much they're unwilling to objectively study ivermectin. Just one more thing, folks. Just one more thing. And what about our neighbors over to the east? We still have that Czech individual or company or whoever listening in from Czechoslovakia. What about neighboring Germany? It's likely we are told today that 80% of the COVID-19 deaths reported in Germany by the Robert Koch Institute are attributable to other causes. 80% of the COVID official cause of death deemed to happen because of COVID-19. 80% of them happen for other reasons. We have determined this doctor Dr. Bertram Hausler said that in a good 80% of the official COVID-19 deaths reported since the beginning of July, the underlying infection goes back more than five weeks, and therefore one has to assume that the virus, COVID-19, was not the real cause of death. A team of investigating physicians led by this guy, Dr. Hausler, is based on studies conducted since August of 2020. Dr. Hausler postulates there will be no mass mortality despite rising infection figures in the future. In Germany, 3.8 million people survive COVID-19, and mathematical calculations indicate that about 100 would die every day from usual causes of death. Now it happens that those cases are assigned to a COVID infection, according to reports from the health department for months now. Dr. Hausler adds, it could simply be an older person who became infected but has now died of heart failure. Hausler's team uses and sorts the data supplied daily by this institute, Robert Koch Institute, which in turn gets it from 379 public health offices. This allows researchers to assign an infection date to each COVID death. For Dr. Hausler, the usual mortality statistics from other sources are increasingly distorted, kind of like we are over here. So he states more deaths have been reported that have actually been caused by COVID. More deaths have been reported than have actually been caused by COVID. 
In addition to that, Dr. Hausler says the Robert Koch Institute knows about the inaccuracy of their data and they do nothing to correct that situation. Sound familiar? It is here. I didn't want to leave the show today without talking about this story, this horrible thing that is happening out in California. Yesterday, a video was released by Project Veritas, led by James O'Keefe, and it shows a California public high school advanced placement government teacher bragging that he is using Antifa propaganda, and he's using it purposely to indoctrinate his students. Here's what he says. I have 180 days to turn them into revolutionaries. His name is Gabriel Guype, teaches at Indecorum High School in Sacramento. He's heard saying it in a video. Asked by Project Veritas undercover journalist how he does that, the video shows the teacher saying, scare the F out of them. Now, they're under the banner of Antifa, an organization that he's involved with. It's very loosely organized. The teachers heard explaining to the interviewer in the video. So like when there's right-wing rallies and stuff, then we like will create an opposition to that. Yeah. The video shows Gype, this teacher, telling Project Veritas journalist who is posing as a left-wing sympathizer that Sacramento is incredibly diverse. But we're surrounded by a bunch of, listen to this, a bunch of right-wing rednecks. There you go. The people that refuse to put anybody in a box because of a skin color or a political aspiration or nation of origin or religion. You can't do that. People that disagree with Antifa, according to this guy who's teaching in a public school and it's public dollars that are paying for it, calls them right-wing rednecks. James O'Keefe, let me let you listen to him. He weighed in on this a little bit later in the day yesterday and gave us an update on what's going on in this incident and how critical and important it is. Hello, everyone. Uh, Update, breaking news. We've got a reaction from the school district after we released the video showing the communist teacher hanging the Antifa flag in his classroom and saying he's got 180 days to revolutionize his students. I have 180 days to turn them into revolutionaries. So the school district issued a statement. This is in Sacramento, California. It said in part, Natomas United is aware of the Project Veritas video released this morning. We understand that parents and Natomas community members have expressed their concern about the contents of the video. A very postmodern reaction here. Uh, we understand they've expressed their concern. Now, what's happening is parents are inundating the school with messages, as you should too, and here are their email addresses for uh, Principal Lori Strickland, Assistant Principal Brian Wellborn, Assistant Principal Derek Dykstra, Assistant Principal Jackie Fritas. We even got a message from the uh, Mika Grant, who is, is on the board. Yep. Yeah. He's on the board of the school district. Quote, I'm a lifelong defender of individual freedoms and personal expression, but I'm deeply concerned when I've seen the video released by Project Veritas. Parents depend upon us to provide a safe and nurturing educational environment for their children. There's also a school board meeting tomorrow. Project Veritas reporters will be in attendance. This is going to be an unbelievable thing to witness. You can actually stream into it at uh, this address here, netomusunited.org slash board of trustees videos. 
Parents are going to be showing up. It's going to be something else to behold. What's most interesting about today is someone pointed out that this guy actually has an InSock tattoo on his arm. You'll recall what InSock is. It's the fictional one party in George Orwell's dystopia 1984. Usually people are opposed to that dystopia. No, this guy, this high school teacher has tattooed InSock from 1984 on his arm. <laughs> um... Ignorance is strength, war is peace, freedom is slavery. Did I get that right? Ignorance is strength. He actually embraces this motto by having the tattoo on his arm. Also interesting about today is we confront we confronted the teacher. Uh, our undercover journalist did so in Sacramento, and he told us that he felt uncomfortable. I don't feel it's comfortable with this. When undercover, he told the person he thought he was speaking to a parent that his role is to make people feel uncomfortable if they don't like the Antifa flag. Like, I, I have an Antifa flag on my on my wall, um, and a student complained about that, and he said it made him feel uncomfortable. Well, this is meant to make fascists feel uncomfortable, so if you feel uncomfortable, I, I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> we released a lot of videos over the last 10 years, but some are saying that this video is maybe the most shocking, or the most influential, because, again, it is a public school teacher saying and doing these things. Listen to what Tim Pool had to say. This is probably one of Project Veritas's most important stories. It's not about Google or other massive multinational billion dollar corporations. It's not about politicians and the policies they put in place. This is about a high school teacher. That's it. To follow up on what Tim Pool said, I think it's the simplicity of what this man has said and how obvious, how shocking what he's doing is. He's giving extra credit. He's bragging about giving extra credit assignments to students to go to Antifa rallies and giving them, quote, they students get points for doing it. Unbelievable. That just shows, folks, if you're a conservative in the United States of America today, you definitely are anti-political anti elitist, you're, um, you're one of those, as this teacher called you and me, if you're conservative, um, you're a, a right-wing redneck. So if that's what you are, if you're a conservative in America and you support freedom for everybody, equality for everybody, everybody gets the same opportunity for everything. If you're one of those rednecks or right-wingers, that feel that way. Yeah, thanks for joining the party. Hey, never forget, you can always grab one of these shows in its entirety, any one of TNN Live shows. Three ways to do it. You can go to Apple, Apple iPod, uh, Apple Podcast. I'm trying to get the name right. So you've got iTunes on your phone, obviously. Go to Apple Podcast and just put in the search bar TNN Live. All of our shows are up there. They grab them within minutes after the end of each show. Same thing happens at Spotify. Spotify Podcast do the same thing. If you have an account at either place, you can go grab them. No charge there. Additionally, after the show, at the bottom of the page of the lead story on each calendar day, we put a link to each podcast there. You can also go there and get it absolutely free. Download it. Share it with your friends. Bring others in. Thanks for our people that uh, 
We're listening in today from all over the world, a bunch every day from Moscow, other parts of Europe, and of course down down under, New Zealand and Australia, all through North America. We're so glad that we're able to talk to you and share our thoughts five days a week, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time in the U.S. Thanks for being here today. We'll be back tomorrow. Don't forget Roger Stone with us live for an hour on Friday morning. Spread the word around. Have a great Wednesday, folks. And just know this, the best is yet to come. Hang in there, folks. We're going to be fine. See you tomorrow.